You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. What was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, any Bob Dylan fans here? No? Bit dog? Oh, one? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Bit of a dog. I like Bob Dylan. You know, he used to be cool. Um, <laughs> Bob Dylan uh, was a Christian for a period of time and released a couple of Christian albums. Um, they're not really popular, <laughs> as you can imagine, amongst his fan base. But I really like them. I think they're marvellous. Uh, and um, there's one song, and I, I can't remember which album it is. I think it's, Blood, I think it's Slow Train Coming, the, the opening song. It's called You've Got to Serve Somebody. I won't uh, inflict you with the audio recording of the song, although I do recommend it. Um, I'm just going to read you some of the lyrics. It goes like this. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble or you may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. You may be a state trooper. You may be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. And the point of the song is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor whether you're powerful or weak, whether you're healthy or sick, old or young, you are going to be under the authority of some other person or some institution. Take, for example, um, Donald Trump. Right? He's a billionaire. He's the 
uh, probably the most powerful leader in the world and even Donald Trump is under authority of other people and uh, uh, other institutions. So not even the most rich and powerful people we can think of are totally free. Indeed, it seems from this song that freedom, true freedom, is an illusion. And it's a sentiment that's echoed in our passage this morning. That is, we're all going to have to serve somebody. Who will we serve? Let's go to the first slide. There we go. You've got to serve someone. Who will you serve? That's the big question that we're confronted with in our passage this morning. And I put it to you that it's a very important question for us to wrestle with because we are going to have to serve somebody. It's not just a fiction. It's not just a poetic speculation from a song. It's the truth. We are going to have to serve someone. So who will we serve? So let's hit the passage. To begin with, uh, the first point I want to uh, make to you this morning, still morning, the first point I want to make to you is that basically we have two options. The Apostle Paul tells us that we have two options in terms of who we're going to serve. This is what he writes, verses 15 to 16. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So Paul gives us basically two options. We can either be slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness and obedience. Okay? There's no in-betweens. You can't have one foot in the sin camp and one foot in the obedience camp. Or you can't have one foot in the obedience camp and another foot in another completely different camp. No. The prospect he presents us with is you've got two options and you're either in one or the other. Either the sin camp or the righteousness camp. It's very fitting that um, the Apostle Paul uses slavery as an analogy because in his times, being a slave was an all-encompassing um, state of affairs. You see, in his time, you couldn't be a bit of a slave. You, couldn't, you were either a slave or you were free. You see, it's not like us today. So, you know, those of us who have a job, and if we have a boss in our job, you go to work between the hours that you have to be there, and when your boss tells you to do something, you've got to do it, so long as it's, you know, lawful and in keeping with the terms of your employment. Not so for the slave in Apostle Paul's time. You see, the slave, you see, your boss, right, 
You might be asleep and you're not going to get a call on your mobile from your boss at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, hey, I want you to come back to work and finish those emails. Like, that's not going to happen. And if it does happen, there's something seriously wrong. It shouldn't be like that, okay? But not so in the Apostle Paul's time. If you were a slave, you had no time of your own. You had no possessions of your own. All you had was your... Um, your obedience to, the ma to your master. So if you were asleep and your master comes in and kicks you and says, get up, I need to get, you my, get my horse ready because I've got to go somewhere. You've got to do it. You can't say, no, no, that's against the terms of my employment. No, you had to do it. So if you were a slave, you were either a slave or you were free. There was no freedom association with being a slave. It was an all-encompassing condition. And that's why the Apostle Paul uses it to talk about either our commitment to sin or our commitment to righteousness. We are either fully committed to sin or we are fully committed to righteousness. There's no in-betweens. Let me give you another analogy. Have you ever seen like a radiation suit? Maybe, has anyone watched The Simpsons? Yeah? You know, sometimes when they have those scenes in the nuclear power plant, people are wearing those radiation suits, right? You're either wearing a radiation suit or you're not, okay? If you wear the radiation suit, you can be in the presence of radiation and it's not going to affect you. You can't have the suit half on, right? You can't just sort of put the pants on and have the top off and then just sort of be in the presence of radiation. No, you're going to get sick. It's the same with being in Christ. We either are in Christ or we're not in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we are protected from the effects of sin and the power of sin in our lives. Or we're not in Christ, in which case we are subject to the power of sin in our lives. You can't have half your foot in Christ and half your foot out of Christ. Our um, church um, mission statement is fitting in this way, making all of life all about Jesus. There's only one way in which you can be towards Jesus, and that is all in. You can only be all in. You can only make all of life all about Jesus. You can't make some of life a bit about Jesus, okay? It doesn't work that way. So this is, what the, this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us. We are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. There's no in-betweens. We are either all in with Jesus or we're not with Jesus. There's no in-betweens. So this leads me to my first sort of take-home take point, and it's a question. What are you still holding back? What are you still holding on to? Is there anything in your life that you're sort of clinging to that you're unwilling to give up for the sake of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there something in the back deep recesses of your cupboard that you just want to keep back there? You can't sort of get rid of it. You just want it to stay there. You, a bit of hoarding going on 
It's a question which, um, which a preacher asked of me, well, not me personally, but of the, the, the group that I was in. It was in 2006, I think, when I was at a men's convention at um, Belgrave Heights Men's Convention Centre. And the preacher asked that same question. What are you still holding on to? What is the thing that you're still unwilling to give up for the sake of your relationship with Jesus Christ? And um, at that time, I was still an architect. I was still working as an architect. And I was very much attached to the um, professional prestige of being an architect. I liked the idea of being an architect. But I knew that um, it was for me an idol, that I had turned my profession into an idol. And so I questioned whether I had to give that up. And in the fullness of time, I did. And I thank God for doing that in me. Because um, the blessings and the privileges that I have reaped as a full-time minister of God's word far outweighs the, um, the professional life I had as an architect. So that was one thing that I had to give up, that I was holding on to. What about you? Have you got anything left in your cupboard that you don't want to give up? That little thing that's like, yeah, I'll give up all of that, but that one thing, yeah, just can't do it yet. Can I encourage you uh, with what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us here and to be all in when it comes to Jesus and righteousness? Make yourselves slaves of righteousness. Be willing to give up everything for the sake of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Be encouraged to make all of life all about Jesus. Because I tell you what, you may think you're losing something now, but you're not. You will be gaining things. You will be gaining things far more than you can imagine. If you, if, if whatever it is that you give up for the sake of your relationship with Christ. So that's the first point. We've got two options, either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. No in-betweens. Let's move to our second point. This is what... Okay, so yeah, this is it. We'll move on. So, um, so our second point is about what we used to be like when we were slaves of sin. So Paul describes what it's like to be a slave of sin and something... Many of us uh, can probably relate to when we consider the lives that we lived before we were disciples of Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in verses 19 to 21. He wrote this. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. So there's a few bits that I want us to kind of, that I want to draw attention to. Um, the first is this bit where he talks about ever increasing wickedness. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity 
and to ever-increasing wickedness. You used to offer yourselves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness. It's quite a vivid description, isn't it? Ever-increasing wickedness. It's like when we are slaves to sin, when we're not in a relationship with God, our lives are characterised by ever-increasing wickedness. That we just get more and more sinful. One biblical commentator described it as um, when you sin once it's easier to commit the same sin a second time and easier again a third time and so as you persist in a life of sin sinning just becomes easier and easier there's another uh, description that I'd like to draw our attention to and this is the bit where he says free from righteousness you used to offer yourselves as slaves to sin, sorry, slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer yourselves to slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. You were free from the control of righteousness. You were free from the control of righteousness. It's like when you are a slave to sin, you have no motivation or obligation to try to live your life in a moral way. You might try to live your life in a moral way, but there's no real onus to be moral. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're really free to live your life to do whatever sinful behaviour you want. You, you want to do there's no there's no little voice in the back of your head saying this is right or this is wrong so you're free from righteousness it's actually quite a nihilistic vision isn't it like people who are slaves to sin people who don't have a relationship with God live lives that are characterized by ever-increasing sin and no moral restraint. They are free from righteousness. Does that, does that ring true for you and for your experience? Like, I want you now to um, just think about someone who you know, who you really like. Okay? So someone who you like, and who's an atheist, okay? Maybe you have a friend at work who you like who's an atheist or an old friend from high school or uni or a family member perhaps. This is someone you like and they don't believe in God. They're not like, oh, I kind of believe in God or I'm really spiritual. Um, but, you know, like, they're like, no, I don't believe in God. Yeah, just think about someone like that. Is their life characterised by ever-increasing sin and no moral restraint? Is that, does that ring true for you? Like, I think about my friends who are, who are like, you know, full-on atheists. And, yeah, it's probably true for one or two of them, I would say. 
that they definitely live lives that are quite nihilistic. Um, although I wouldn't judge them because I certainly wasn't any better before I was, you know, in a relationship with Christ. So I have some friends who, atheist friends who are sort of nihilistic. But I have other atheist friends who, well, like they're married, like they're committed to their marriage. Um, they have a job, a full-time job, you know, and they're committed to working. Some of them even, you know, they care about the plight of those less off in the world and try to be generous and charitable. On a first glance, for some of the people that I know who are atheists and who I like, their life doesn't really seem that nihilistic, actually. And I wonder, you know, does this... Is there something wrong with Paul's description here? I put it to you that there isn't anything wrong with Paul's description. I put it to you that even though we may have good friends whom we love, who are atheists, who on the surface of it, they don't seem to be living lives that are particularly immoral or ever increasing sin, when you drill into it, you actually realise that they actually are. And the point is that what it boils down to is that without God, we actually can't have a sense of objective morality. Without God, we can't actually say for sure what is good and what is evil. If I was to get my atheist friends in a, in a room together and ask them to come up with a moral framework, they would all disagree. So some of them try to live their life in a moral way, but it's their own speculation about what good and evil is. And others do the same thing. But one friend has one version of morality, another friend has another version of morality. They don't actually agree with what is right and wrong. And it's, it goes to show us, I believe, that without God, it is very difficult to, to actually have an objective moral framework, to be able to say with certainty, this is good and this is evil, and this is what is good and evil for all time in every situation. Now, um, I had a really good question in the morning tea break from someone who was listening to this sermon in the morning. And he asked, why is it then you have different... If, if God, you know, if through a relationship with God we can have a moral, uh, an objective moral framework, why do we have different Christian denominations who disagree with what is good and evil? That was a ripper question. Um, and, and we sort of spoke about it and thought about it. And I think the issue is that... Um, so you might be thinking the same thing too. You might be thinking, yeah, but, okay, if a relationship with God leads to objective morality, why, why do different churches say the different thing between right and wrong? And why do, why do we see so much sin in some churches and that sort of thing? I mean, you know, if we consider the... Um, 
the Royal Commission into child sexual abuse, you know, there's lots of evidence of churches doing the wrong thing. So how does that fit into it? I think the point is, though, that it's not... See, we would all agree on how to define what is right and wrong. It's just that some people don't follow it. So they know how to work out what right and wrong is. They just choose not to do the right thing. So I think the reason why we find uh, sin in the church and disagreements between different church groups as to what right and wrong is, is not a reflection on God confusing what right and wrong is. It's actually got to do with those people being hypocritical and not doing the right thing. So, so I, I put it to you that without God, we, we can't have an objective morality. It's still incumbent on us to live out in a moral way. So we can't be hypocritical. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how we have... Uh, that's how we can know what is right and wrong for all time in every situation. Okay, so what can we take away from this? Well, I think this speaks to those of us who are here today who may not believe in God. So there might be people here today who, um, who don't believe in God. And if that's you, um, there are a few questions I'd like you to think about. Do you believe in objective morality? Do you think that it's possible to have a sense of what is good and evil for all time and in all contexts? If so, I'd like you to consider, can we have objective morality without God? Now, admittedly, there might be some philosophers who want to take that line of argument, so I accept that there might be some people who think that that's possible, but I don't know, I, I think it's pretty hard to, um, to have a sense of objective morality without God, and you only need to see all the debates about what is good and evil between different people who, who, who don't have a relationship with God to see that that's holds some truth and thirdly and finally if God exists is there a moral obligation to acknowledge him in our lives so those are some questions to think about which come out of this passage uh, as we consider what it means to be a slave to sin some questions for those of you who um, there might be um, certain people here today who don't believe in God who think I don't believe in God but I'm not a slave to sin and yeah okay that's cool but just just consider that yeah how can you know what good and evil is objectively without God so let's move on to the third and final point that I'd like to make to you this morning, which is, um, what are we like now? So we used to be slaves to sin, 
but now we are slaves to righteousness. What is that like? Well, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. This is what he writes in verses 17 to 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So there's a couple of bits here that I'd like to uh, point out to. The first is this expression here, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. The pattern of teaching. The pattern of teaching. The, the Greek word there for pattern is typos. And typos is where we get the word type from, as in a type of thing. And um, it also means like a mould or a form or a shape. So it describes the physical characteristics of a thing, the typos. And it's interesting that, that Paul uses this word to describe the teaching because the teaching that he's talking about does have a form and a shape. It forms us. It shapes us. It's not a type of teaching which is abstract, which we, which, you know, we kind of learn with our mind and then sort of you know, put it on the shelf. No. The, this teaching is something which actively shapes and changes us and forms our lives. I'd like to read to you from another letter that Paul wrote. This is his letter to the Ephesian church. And this is what he writes in chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. He writes this. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to, be, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To be like God. To be like God. This teaching, this pattern of teaching, this typos of teaching, it shapes and moulds us and transforms us. It shapes us from what we used to be like in the past to what we are like now. And it shapes us to be like God. It helps us to grow in holiness. You see, as, as human beings, we were all made in the image of God. And sin has marred that image which we all hold. And this pattern of teaching, this teaching which comes from the, the, the life and work of Jesus Christ shapes us to restore that image of God that we all carry. It makes us like God in terms of holiness and righteousness. Do you remember how in that bit he also says... Um, 
he also says the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance that has now claimed your allegiance uh, some tra bible translators have translated that verses the pattern of teaching which you have given yourselves over to so in the niv they say which has gained your allegiance but in other translations they say this pattern of teaching which you have given yourselves over to because that's more like what the original greek says the original greek says something more like this pattern of teaching which you has you have given yourself over to do you notice that it's not the teaching which which comes to us but we give ourselves over to the teaching do you notice that it's not the teaching which comes to us but we give ourselves over to the teaching and it's a subtle it's a subtle description but it's important because paul's trying to get us to understand this is something that actually changes us yeah this is not some passive intellectual teaching that we sort of absorb with our mind and it sort of remains abstract no this is this is a pattern a mold a way of life which we give ourselves over to and it forms us and it changes us it makes us different it has an effect on the shape of our lives and our behavior did you notice also how he says you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance or the pattern of teaching that you have given yourselves over to you have come to obey from your heart so he doesn't say you have come to obey in your head this pattern of teaching or you've come to obey in your hands and your feet no it's in your heart you see it's something that grips us from the inside it's in our heart do you remember how jesus said that it's not what goes into a person's mouth that defiles them it's what comes out of their mouth that defiles them because what comes out of their mouth is a reflection on what's going on in their heart and this is the most important place our heart where this teaching needs to have effect it needs to change our affections and our feelings what our deep desires are what we really believe yeah so this pattern of teaching we have come to obey in our hearts and it's changed us it's molded us and we've given ourselves over to it a little further along paul writes this but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the result of giving ourselves over to this pattern of teaching, to accepting this pattern of teaching in our heart, is that it results in eternal life yeah because this teaching it shapes us to be like jesus christ it shapes us to live a life after his example and it shapes us so much in the image of christ 
that like him, one day we too will be resurrected from the dead and live eternal lives. Yeah? So the holiness and righteousness which we aspire to in this life, that is directly connected to the life which we will live, the eternal life that we will live after we are resurrected from the dead, after we are fully transformed in the image of God and the form of Christ through this pattern of teaching that we have given our hearts over to. It's interesting. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So the word wages is uh, opsonia, I think, opsonia. And that's the wages that a, uh, a soldier gets for the work that they've done. So back in those days, if you were a soldier, your wages for your work, your opsonia, was the payment that you got. But in addition to that, you might have got a free gift. Um, I think it's charita, charita, something, charis. It's the free gift. And the free gift was something that you might have gotten, say, on if, uh, if an emperor was being installed or it was an emperor's birthday as a way of celebrating some sort of public or civic event, you got this extra payment and you did nothing to deserve that payment. This was just something that you got as a, as a free gift. It's like an annual bonus, yeah? You know, like, oh, you may or may not get the bonus, but you might, you know, and when you do, it's a free gift. You don't do anything to deserve it. It's something that you're getting freely. It's, it's, and Paul's intentional with his language here. You know, being a slave to sin and facing the consequences of that is a due consequence for the actions we have committed. Those are the wages that we deserve for the actions that we have committed. But the free gift of God is something that we can't give, can't earn, sorry. It's something that is freely given to us by God out of his love and his grace. And all we can do is accept it and receive it thankfully. Paul also acknowledges that um, the expression slave to righteousness is a bit imperfect. What he says here, um, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. So he's accepting that there's a bit of a problem with the analogy slave to righteousness because the thing is, when you're a slave, you do things because you're obliged to do them. You don't do them freely or willingly. You do them because you have to do them. And Paul doesn't want us to think that, you know, when we're in a relationship with God, we strive for holiness and righteousness because we feel that's what we have to do. It's what we want to do, yeah? When we have accepted this free gift from God, our loving response is to desire to live our lives characterized by holiness and righteousness. 
One biblical commentator describes it as striving for righteousness willingly, joyfully and naturally. I just thought that was a lovely description. Willingly, joyfully and naturally. So it's not quite like being a slave in that it's against your will. It's actually, but it is like being a slave in the sense that you are 100% committed to it. Yeah, there's no in-betweens. So let's move to the final take-home point. So I think a question which, which raises, which arises for us as we consider what it's like to be slaves of righteousness is, do you experience the freedom to love and serve God willingly, joyfully and naturally? Because I think this is what comes out of being a slave to righteousness. When you give your heart over to that pattern of teaching, the pattern of teaching set by Jesus Christ, when you love Jesus Christ with all your heart, when you want to make all of your life all about Jesus, you know, we experience the freedom to love and serve God willingly, joyfully and naturally. Now you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, that's not really how I experience it. Sometimes I do feel like I'm sort of slaved or forced into it. Well, that's, that's understandable. And at least in my experience, one thing I can reflect is that um, over time, I think I have grown in my willingness and joy to serve God in holiness and righteousness. And it's become more and more natural as I've grown uh, through the gifts of the Spirit to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And so if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I kind of feel like that sometimes, I want to encourage you just to take heart and to trust in God and to trust that over time he will, in his time, grow in you a love for him so that you can, with ever-increasing passion, give yourself over to the pattern of teaching that Jesus Christ has set for us. And you will find over time that you will be more willing and joyful uh, in, your, in your desire for righteousness and holiness and that it would come more naturally to you. So um, I began today by asking you a question. You're going to serve somebody. Who are you going to serve? My encouragement to you is to serve righteousness and obedience. To serve God and to serve Jesus Christ. To realise that there are no in-betweens. That you're either going to serve one or the other. And to put your commitment into being a servant of righteousness and a disciple of Jesus Christ. We'll leave it there. And now I hand back over to Sarah to